Thank you for tuning in to the Highest Praise Sunday Sermon. For more information about Highest Praise Church, upcoming events, and other helpful resources, please visit highestpraisechurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jordan Lancaster. Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We'll be in Acts chapter 9 today. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, Jordan Lancaster. I'm on the teaching team on staff here at Highest Praise Church, and we're so so glad that you're here with us today. And um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to do verses 1 through 9. And I've, I've preached this message, this, not this message, but this passage before, but there's a whole new, whole new insight to what we're getting ready to jump into from this passage. Now we're in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that so if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Lord, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, I want you to arise and I want you to go into a city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And when he was three days without sight, he neither ate nor drank. So if you don't already know, this is the conversion of Saul to Paul on the road to Damascus. And, and one, of the, one of the things that when I read this scripture is that I found out real quick, and it's where we're going today, is that when he was on that road, how many know that God showed up on that road? How many know that God, how many love it when God shows up on your road, right? Uh, and if, if we were to take inventory and take a survey and had you, had you uh, pull out your phone and, and let us know, if I said how many people want God to show up, I think that would be 100% of us, right? Right, be 100%. Everybody, everybody wants God to show up. And one of the things that we have to remember, though, is that in our prayer and in our desire to see God show up, when God shows up, there is something that takes place. There's always something that takes place when God decides to show up. And, and see, and a lot of times we want God to show up, but we want him to do what we want him to do. But how many know when God shows up, he does what he wants to do, right? And so I, I've always loved the fact that in this passage of Scripture, when God showed up, he called him by Saul, but this was a place where he turned him into Paul. This, there was a change happening. See, when God shows up, he, he begins to take things. When God shows up, he begins to change things. And when God shows up, your 10-year your plan goes away. When God shows up, listen, he begins to, to change your heart, and he begins to change your name. We sing the song, right? He picks you up, and he turns you around. Like he told, he told Saul, he said, hey, look, what do I do now? He said, I want you to get up, and I want you to go. How many know that God, when God shows up, he even changes your direction? He will change your direction. He changes who you are. And not only does he change your name, he changes your direction, he'll change your heart. But how many know he also changes your identity? He changes who you are. 
He changes where you go. He changes how you talk. He changes how you walk. And with Paul, we definitely learned that, guess what? He'll even change the way you see. He'll, he'll change everything about you. So when you, when you pray and believe God, show, some of you have experienced God like you never had before just since this new year has started. And what's happening is you're beginning to find out that it's because you've experienced God and because God has shown up that you're not the same person you even used to be. How many people have a testimony that you're not who you were? Man, thank the Lord that I'm not who I was. Had it not been for Jesus showing up on my road to Damascus, I don't know where I would be today. But how many know that God is going to show up? Every single time, if you want him to show up, he'll show up. When God shows up, he puts your character on trial. You can always see when God is not around, people put other people's character on trial. But when God showed up, I know God says, I'll put your character on trial. You've been putting everybody, like, like Paul was on the road, and he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. And God showed up and said, hey, hey, Paul, how about instead of putting their character on trial, how about we look at you for a minute? When God shows up, it takes all the judgment and all the outside look away, and he says, I want you to look in the mirror for a second and see what needs to change on the inside of you. So stop judging the character of others and start putting yourself on trial. Is what he taught Paul. When God shows up, everything changes. Everything changes. Paul left Rome on his way to kill Christians. And and you know, one of the this is this is a great passage, this is a great encounter, this is a great day in the life of Paul. This is this is changing the trajectory of what is happening in the church of Jesus Christ during this time. This is the book of Acts. This is the birth of the church, and here is a patriarch for the gospel of Jesus who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. His life is being forever changed. I just want to pause for a moment and say, I want you to know that your past that is behind you will not determine your future that is ahead of you. It will not. If anybody had a reason to throw in the towel and say they can't, it was Paul. The very thing that he was trying to kill, he became. The very thing that he was against, how many know that God turned him around and said, I'm going to make you into something so great and so powerful for my glory, you will have room enough to contain the blessings that are coming your way. How many people want to change in their life? Hallelujah. So Paul, one of the things I love about this is that Paul was on his way, and the Bible speaks, some of the commentaries speak that they believe this happened right in the middle of the day. Right in the middle of his day. See, we want God to show up on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 1045. We want God to show up midweek at 630 or maybe during our devotion and coffee in the morning or our prayer time at night. God, God, will you show up? But how many know God's got a sense of humor and he'll show up right in the middle of your friends, right in the middle of your work buddies, right in the middle of your job, right in the middle of your school. God will show up right in the middle and he'll flip you upside down right then and there. How many know there's no place that God won't show up? No place that God won't show up. Because if you want God to show up, get ready for him to show up where you least expect it. He showed up on the road to Damascus. And, and what, what happened was an encounter that Paul had, that Saul had with God. And the Bible speaks that he came and he saw a blinding light. He saw a blinding light. The light blinded him. And so in Galatians 2.20, the Bible says that Paul says, I have died with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives on the inside of me. How I many know that when God shows up, something's got to die? 
See, when God show, we want the blessings when God shows up, but we don't have to want to have to die when God shows up. See, when God shows up, there's something that changes on the inside. I remember, I remember when, when I encountered Jesus for the first time, it was like, I, you know, I was trying to, do, trying to do the God thing, trying to do the church thing, trying to live right. But when Jesus showed up, the person who used to have to try died, and all of a sudden I became who God wanted me to be. See, something shifted on the inside of me. Something changed on the inside of me because God showed up and there became a change on the inside of who I was. And now Paul says to the Galatians, say, hey, you remember who I used to be, but I want you to now know who I am. That the old me died, the Saul died, but guess who's living now? It's Jesus on the inside of me. It's Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but it's him. I don't live for myself, I live for Jesus. I don't give myself glory, I give Jesus glory. I'm not trying to, to obtain, I'm not trying to get to where I want to be, I'm trying to become who God wants me to be. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ on the inside of me. And see, and see, just like Paul, he had this insight. He had this insight to who was on the inside of him. We learn even with, through Pastor Sherwood that who we are going to be and everything we need to be that person is found on the inside of you and on the inside of me. It's already there. It's whether or not we're going to allow it to take place in our life, which determines whether or not we see fruit in our life. See, what Paul found out is that the most important thing was not his eyesight. The most important thing that Paul found out was not eyesight, but it was insight. See, some of you come to church looking for eyesight. I want to see, I want to get, I want to have. But Jesus, when Jesus shows up, you know what he says? He says, not about what you can see, because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You're looking for something you can see. But God says, I want to do something so powerful on the inside of you that you might lose your eyesight, but you're going to gain some insight. Man, you're going, to gain, you're going to start looking at stuff different. You might try to open your eyes, and you're like, I just don't see what I used to see anymore. Why? Because you have some insight. I'm not who I was anymore. Why? Because I got some insight. I start believing different and thinking different and knowing that God's going to show up. Why? Because I got some insight. And people will look at you and say, hey, why are you acting so different? Is it because you're going to that church? Is it because of what, what happened? You, all you got to say is, hey, I now have got some insight. Oh, to who? To Betty? In the office, what's she do now? No, no, no. I got some insight to Jesus. Oh, what would happen if we tell people about the insight we had with Jesus on Sunday morning, on Monday morning, on Monday afternoon? What would happen if the church gets some insight to what's on the inside of them? You see, because it was Saul who had his eyesight, but Paul gained his insight. Oh, man. Oh, man. See, the, see the, the Lord wants you this morning to gain some insight. Not to who, who the labels, you might have labels, you might have, you might know exactly who the world says you are, but this morning you're so confused about who God says you are. And God says, this morning, I'm going to get rid of the Saul that's labeled on your name, that's labeled on your birth certificate. I'm going to get rid of the Saul that's on your mailbox out front of your house. I'm going to get rid of the Saul that's in people's mouth. And I'm going to start putting some Pauls on the inside, some insight to who you are. And before the foundations of the world, who he created you to be. How many people want some insight? Say amen. Hallelujah. So we, we found that eyesight uh, is, is okay, but how many know it's ultimately, it's got to be the insight. The things that are on the inside of us that we must come to know and come to believe. So it's always better to have insight than eyesight. And so we have this, this supernatural encounter. And Paul 
gains some insight to God, who God's called him to be. He's now different. He's now changed. He had this experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He left Rome, headed to Damascus. He left Rome to persecute Christians, and then on this way, on this path, he had an encounter and gained insight. And, 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 it, and I, I love the fact that he had this encounter. And we have encounters, and we'll circle these days and these times, which I think are incredible and powerful. But how many know that Paul had to go home? Paul had to go home. Paul had to go home, and, and he preached. After he left that moment, after about three years, he went through a preparation period of about, th how many know that Paul didn't go straight to the ministry? Yeah, after this, after this encounter, uh, they, people believe, scholars believe, that it was three years before Paul actually walked out in his ministry of who he's going to be. For three years. Three. And see, a lot of times when we get a no, from God, like, I, I, I got to have this encounter, I had this great thing, I had this great, now God, you're going to give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, and when God says no, and a lot of times, you know what we do, when God says no to some, some, certain things that we want in our life, we look at it as deprivation, but how many know when God says no, it's not deprivation, it's preparation, why, why didn't God give me what I wanted when I wanted it, because it's preparation. You're going through a season of preparation. But I want, I want to see. And we get mad at God and mad at people. And mad. God, why are they depriving me of what I'm supposed to have? I thought I was Why are they depriving me from what I want? Why are they depriving? Why is God doing this to me? And God says, I'm not depriving you of anything. I'm just preparing you for something so great that right now you can't handle, but you're going to be able to. Why didn't you get that relationship? Why did God say no to that relationship that you had, to him or to her? Why did he say? It's not because he's depriving you of something. It's because he's preparing you for someone. God, so when, 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 and so it was three years, and God said, hold on, I'm preparing you. I'm sure, I'm sure Paul was studying. He already knew the Torah. He knew the word. He was the most studied and the most esteemed that there was in the, in the day and the time. He knew his word, but God says, I'm going to put you through a season of preparation like you've never seen before. Don't ever look at what God got you in preparation as deprivation. And so he had to come home. He had to come home. See, and he was coming home different than the way he left. He had an encounter with God, and he was coming back to Rome. And as he was coming back to Rome, there was something that was different about him. See, when he left, everybody in Rome approved him and praised of him and gave him permission to hate Christians. How many, how many have ever, ever encountered someone that they're okay as long as you ain't, you ain't living for God? They're okay with you as long as you hate the things that, that the world hates, you know, and, and as long as you don't love Jesus like the crazy Christians do, then they're okay. But how many know that when Paul got home, he had some explaining to do? He left trying to kill someone when he returned. He was one. He said, so he had to make it home. And here's, here's the big tragedy in 2021 of the church is that we'll come to church and we'll have an encounter. But the encounter and identity that you'll find in this room, some of us never take it home. We have Damascus Road experiences, but we leave them on Damascus Road. We have altar powerful encounters, but we don't pick it up from the altar and take it to our doorstep. 
We come in here and we praise and we worship and we shout and we giggle and we lift our hands and we come and we receive the word. But the problem is, is that the enemy doesn't mind you doing that at highest praise. He just don't want you doing it at home. Oh, y'all, y'all know, yeah, uh, y'all know, this is, he just don't want you going home, Paul, the same way that you were on Damascus Road. He wants you to stay that way, but he just don't want you bringing it home. See, see, as long, the enemy don't care how loud you shout in this room, if you can't shout in your room. The enemy don't care about you praying in this room. As long as you just don't pray in your teenager's room. The enemy don't care how hard you worship and how long you stay in service. If you get home and worship can't be found anywhere. As long as you go home cussing and fussing and tripping and slipping. The enemy don't care what you do in this room. But how many you know that God wants to give you some insight today? God wants to give you some insight saying, hey, you can go home the same way you were in this room. You can take it out of this room, and you can bring it to your house, to your bedroom, to your children. Some insight. Enemy don't, enemy's not afraid of your church praise. He's afraid of your home praise. He's not afraid of your church prayers. He's afraid of your 3 a.m., midnight, 1 a.m., sick baby in the bedroom. He's afraid of the marriage is falling apart and there's yelling and screaming going on in mom and daddy's room. He's not a, he, as long as that's happening, he's just fine. But when mom and daddy's bedroom door closes and all of a sudden a sound begins to come up and it's the prayer of a righteous man and a righteous woman, that's when things, see, as long, things change when you bring things home. There's an identity crisis in the church. But it's not in the church house. It's in your house. It's not in this house, but it's in your house. But if you, this morning, if you find the opportunity in the in, in, inside of you, you don't just praise and worship at 9 and 10 a.m. You begin to praise and worship at 9 and 10 p.m. You just begin to lift up the name of Jesus. As, listen to this. Until identity comes home, it doesn't matter where it travels. Until you can have it all the way till you get into your car. You can have it until lunch today. You can have it and stopping by Walmart before you head home to get something for lunch tomorrow and breakfast in the morning. You can have it all the way up till you hit your mailbox. You can have it. But if you don't bring it through the threshold of your doorway and apply it to your life, listen, identity must be applied to your house. And so there's some insight that happens to Paul. So Paul had to go back to Rome. And he couldn't leave the encounter he had on the road to Damascus, he had to bring it with him. He had to apply it to his life. And so because the reason why, and listen, and it was like the further, the closer he got to Rome, the greater the opposition. The greater the opposition. He, he, he encountered 
the enemy. He encountered snakes. He encountered serpents. He encountered every type of destitution. He even was trying to be stoned. There was people that were out to get him. They attacked his character. They lied about him. They talked about him. They destroyed his name. They tried to remove his purpose. They tried to remove his credibility. But Paul says, you know what? That's okay because this is just confirmation that I'm right where I need to be. When you start trying to get things home and the enemy starts to rise up against you, that's confirmation this morning that you're doing what you're supposed to do. See, he was safe on Damascus. He had his buddies with him, but on the road, on his way home, trying to get home, the closer he got to home, the greater the opposition for his purpose. See, a lot of us, we find identity in Christ when we're in the church building and when we're, we have these encounters, but the battle to get, to get it home, we're not willing to fight. But God says this morning, we're getting some insight, and we're going to learn how to fight that battle. Everybody say amen. Hallelujah. So there's some opposition. There's something to test often becomes the greatest when you're the closest. Talk to somebody, I've been diagnosed. I've, I've had opposition. My, my kid's acting a fool. My, my life has been turned upside down. I had some financial uh, opposition in my life. What, what does that mean? Listen, I came to tell somebody that the test is often the greatest when you are the closest. And if you're finding opposition this morning, I want to let you know that you're close. Don't stop. That you're close. Don't give up now. It's because Paul was coming to Rome to deliver a revolutionary idea that would be life-changing, that would be mesmerizing, that would be absolutely awesome, that would change the, faith, the face of the faith, that would change a generation that was then and a generation to come today. See, Paul, if you can get bring your identity home, the identity change just, just doesn't affect you. How many know it affects a generation now and generations to come? We were talking about it here on campus with some of our pastoral staff that this week that all all kind of the new study came out that and I think it was even CBS News and ABC everybody released a statement that said one in six generation Z youth in our country today identify with the alphabet in the LGBTQ community. Fourteen percent. Ten years ago it was six percent. Why do we have so many identity crises? Because the church has an identity crisis. Why do children have so many identity crises? Because parents have identity crisis. And so I came to preach this morning and tell somebody, if we don't bring our identity homes, our children will never find theirs. If a nation doesn't find their identity in Christ, we will have a nation that falls prey to the lies of the enemy. There's an identity crisis. And today, we're going to find and expose the lie of the enemy and say, I found a Damascus Road Jesus, and he changed me from the inside out. There's power. There's gotta, we've lost our identity, and therefore we lost power. I've been in churches as a little boy evangelizing with our pastor. I remember being 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old, traveling around from every small podunk corner of North and South Carolina that you've ever been to. Y'all don't even know the places we've been to. I can't even say the name because it sounds like a cuss word because they're so out there in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, what is that? Where are we at? Beulahville. Anybody know where Beulahville is? It's grown a little bit. So that's, but, I mean, out, out where? Where are we going? And we, we would go 
and we would preach. But one of the most powerful things about these churches and about these, these things, you know, there weren't many people, but those people who, who were there knew who God was. I'm about tired of packed out churches and nobody knows who God is. And we would go and people, they'd begin to pray and they would actually have, they would have, they would have prayer requests. Right, you had outspoken and unspoken, right? About raise a hand. Yeah, okay, yeah, we got that. And so we would do that, and I would sit there and listen. And people used to get up, and they used to say things like, hey, I, 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 have, I want prayer for my son. He's, he's not living for Jesus, but I believe that salvation is going to find his way. I believe right where he's sitting, there's conviction power to hold it goes. And another lady would stand up, she'd say, hey, I, I, I've got my daughter. She's addicted to drugs, and I stand in proxy for her. And I, I just want to say, I believe she's going to be delivered right here, right now. That's my prayer request. People used to stand up and say, hey, I want the gift of healing over my life. So I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of seeing other people sick. I want to give the prophecy. As a matter of fact, I'm just believing God for a double portion. I, and I used to hear this stuff and I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. Like they couldn't sing a lick, but man, they could pray. Yeah, I want to pray. They knew, they, and they knew what to, they knew who God was. Because they had an in, some insights. They knew that God said for me and my household should be saved. They knew that there was more available to them than what they were receiving, and they just believed God for it. Now in the church, you know what people ask for? I'm just praying for a new car. I just want that new house, God. God, give me a financial blessing. That job that I had, I know he don't love you, God, but I just want to marry him. These are the, and people, the, the prayers of the church are flipped completely backwards. See, we, we don't have power because we lost our identity. We pray like we're lost people, uninvited to the house of God. See, there's a, I remember, oh, 10.05, what? I remember, I remember when I moved out of my house, I'm out of, with my parents, I moved out, and I remember coming back home, and I remember sitting down, and I didn't walk in the door, walk in the door, I didn't take my shoes off at the door and try to figure out where the bathrooms are, I didn't walk in, I didn't walk in like I was uninvited, I walked in, walked straight through the front door, went to the refrigerator, thank you Lord that the refrigerator was full, popped it out, got me a snack, got me a drink, turned on the TV, didn't sit in a recliner because that was daddy's recliner. I sat on the couch and I go and sit down and I just began to make myself at home. Why? Because I knew who I was. We come in the church and we act like we tiptoe around like, God, who's, what's happening? Who's what? They loud. What? That song, that don't sound like the song I heard on Caleb this morning. What? Why is he jumping? Why is he shouting? Why is he? And we begin to look. Why? Because we don't know who God is anymore. We know, we know what we're comfortable with. And we're walking in our daddy's house all uncomfortable, acting like we're uninvited. But when you know who you are in Christ, you walk in and say, God, I came to get. I came to praise. I came to worship because I know who I am in this place. I know who I am. I've been changed. I've got some insights. I now know. Why do you praise the way you pray? Because I've got some insight. Why do you worship like you worship? Because I've got some insight. What has happened to you? I found out who I am. Because I know who my God is. I've got some insight. Oh, I'm on page three. 
And now we don't see anybody praying for souls to be saved. We just pray for the house. Listen, don't pray for your house if you can't pray for the harvest. It's like, God, give me the house. I don't care who's going to hell. Just give me a house. Give me a house. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The church should be crying out, grabbing the horns of the altar and saying, God, we got to see a generation come to know you. God, give us some insight. God, may we know you. Until we go back to anointing our houses with oil, until we go back to pleading the blood, until we go back to getting around the dinner table and grabbing hands and saying, hey, sickness, you got to leave. You got no place in this house. You lying in deceit and disobedience and witchcraft. You got to go rebellion from my house. Until we get back to that point, we won't ever find out who God has called us to be in our life. See, the problem is we're not sensitive to the things of God anymore. Here's what I wrote down. I said, identity is always lost with a lack of sensitivity. When you're not sensitive to the things of God anymore, you begin to lose your identity. When people speak into your life and you can't respond the right way, you're losing your identity. When you're in the presence of God and you just can't lay down what you used to lay down, you're losing your identity. When, 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 when you're not moved like you used to be moving, like we had to grab the bulldozer from next door and try to move you from your seat. We know you know why? Because you begin to be insensitive to the things of God and you have lost your identity. But if you say, God, I want to move your heart. God. That's all I want to do. I want to stand here today, God, and not be in awe of what's being said, but I want to be in awe of who you are, God. That's all I want to do. That's all I want to be. That's all I want to do. And when you begin to become sensitive to the things of God in your life, you begin to regain your identity. But the church has lost its sensitivity. There was... One of my, one of the, I'm, I can't wait for spring and summer. My sons, Jackson, one of them, his favorite thing to do when the weather's nice and when things are right and when it's not raining, right, is to, to go fishing. Boy loves to fish. And he, uh, and so when, when we, beside my parents' house is a pond, so we go out and we started fishing and, and we, we, we put the, the blood worms on the, on the hook and we throw it out where we go, and we fish, and we fish, and we fish, and we're catching a whole bunch of brim. But I know that I've seen bass in that pond, you know? Like, a brim's nice, but how many, you know, you, want, you just want the bass, right? And so I'm telling Jackson, there's a bass. Well, Daddy, why aren't we catching it? I don't know. Son. I guess they just don't like this. I don't know. And so, uh, so old man, he's about 75 years old. He lived next door. He came back. He walked around. He says, hey, you catching anything? Like, yeah, we're catching brims. we catching brims. He's like, well, the bass, they like something different. He said, they... They like any bait that's watermelon green. All right. So we go out and we go, to, we go find a watermelon green frog. And we go and we put on the hook. And then we throw out our, we throw out our, our worms, start catching brim. And then we grab the watermelon, watermelon frog bait. And we, I'm preaching on watermelon frogs. How about that? We throw out the watermelon frog bait and we throw it out. And we sit it there for a minute. And we're, just, and we're just sitting here. All of a sudden, the line starts to run. So we grab it. We grab it. And we say, wonder what's got the watermelon frog. And we reel this thing in. 
and it's a bass. We finally got our bass. And so Jackson's excited. We're taking pictures, and we, we unhook it. We, we take it out, and we, we put it back in there, and, and we throw it again, and we catch another one. And then we catch another one. And, and all of a sudden, the thing that we were looking for, we got. And, and literally, when I was, I remember this was last summer, but literally, when I, was, when I got back home, I was just, you know, just reflecting on the day and stuff. And literally, I felt the Holy Spirit, you think I'm crazy, I don't care. But the Holy Spirit told me, he says, you know what? He said, what you bait will always bite. You want to change some things in your life? Change your bait. You wonder why you're, you're catching the bad relationships. You're catching doubt and unbelief. You're catching depression and addiction. I want to tell somebody, change your bait this morning. Change what you're casting out, and I promise you, what you bait in your life will bite. If you want more of Jesus, I tell you, throw out some praise and throw out some worship and throw out some word. If you want things in your life to change, what you bait this morning will bite. What you bait will bite. Everybody stand on that, that froggy word. Hallelujah. What you bait will bite. This morning, God cannot, he cannot, it's against his nature, to truly bless and bring you into what you're called to if it's the artificial you. Some of us have an artificial facade. We have a mimicked you, a lost you, a fake you. And this morning, God says, I want to give you some insight to the real you. The you who, the you who I called you to be. I think it's about time we change our mindset. I'm, we had, story time, I had, we had our, our dryer went out at our house not too long ago. Our dryer. I mean, no, that's a big deal. Your dryer got, you got 14 kids like I do. Your dryer went out, so I went to the store. I'm just going to go buy a dryer. Anybody try to buy an appliance in the last year? Apparently, all the ones at the store are not for sale. And they got to build them from scratch. They start with sand, and they mold it into clay. I mean, I'm like, 12, 8, 12 weeks for a dryer? Are you crazy? So I'm going up and talking to this lady. and say, hey, I need to buy a dryer. And I'm walking around. She's like, okay, which one? I'm like, this one. She said, all right, I'll order it for you. I said, no, no, I don't want to order it. I want this one. She's like, no, sir, I've got to order it. I said, okay, can they deliver it tomorrow? Because I don't know, my dirty clothes hamper is high. She's like, no, sir, it's going to be eight weeks. I'm like, ma'am, 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 I don't think you understand. You don't hear what I'm saying. What I said was, is that I need this one right here, right now. And I said, she said, no, sir, I don't think you understand. This is not for sale. I said, oh, okay. I mean, long story short, I ended up getting a dryer. But that's, that's, that's beside the point. I, I loaded up in the car. But what got me when I left is her her, her absoluteness, she says, you know what she says? She says, sir, you can't buy what's not for sale. And, and, and I loved, her, I loved her, her attitude behind it. I loved what she, how she said it and how matter-of-fact she was because I think it's about time the church gets to a point and say, devil, I know you're trying to buy something in my life, but I just came to tell you, hey, it's not for sale. My kids aren't for sale. My marriage is not for sale. My joy's not for sale. My passion's not for sale. My calling's not for sale. My love's not for sale. My future's not for sale. I just want somebody to say, hey, devil, it's not for sale starts today my identity it ain't for sale my eternity it ain't for sale 
you ain't going to have it and don't belong to you. As a matter of fact, what I loved about what she did when I finally got it, you know what she did? She went and got a piece of paper. She put my name on it, and in big red markers, she put sold. You know why? Because it won't for sale because I'm already bought and I'm already paid for. I came to tell somebody that your identity is found in Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago on the cross, you were bought, you were paid for. You're not trying to figure out who you are. Today, I came to declare, give you some insight that you belong to Jesus. Hallelujah. You've been bought and you've been paid for. Then she grabbed it. I'm preaching on frogs and dryers. And she moved it off to the side. And she put it over here. She went to customer service. She says, hey, that's his. He bought it, and I'm setting it apart. See, once you're bought and you're paid for, Jesus takes you. He says, I'm going to set you aside because I got something planned that's so great and so special for you. You're not just going to change. Your life's just not changed, but your family and generations, your community, your church, he sets you aside. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many people have been bought and paid for in the room today? The Lord had told me at the end of the year, he said, listen, if you have anything in your possession, it's not because it followed you. And I, and I was just praying about the new year and about what God's doing this first, first quarter of this year has been absolutely amazing in our ministry, in our church, and, and what God's doing and seeing growth and blessings and it will just blow your mind. You're going to hear about it soon. But... One of the things that God said, he said, hey, look, if you look behind you and around you and you see something, he said, it's because, it's not because it followed you. And, and because I was taking inventory, like, God, there's still some things that I see in my life and people are seeing in their life. And he said, and literally, he, I, I, I felt him say, he said, look around. So I kind of looked around. It's like, all right. He said, what'd you see? I said, nothing. He said, no, you see something. I'm like, No. I don't know. Like, what am I looking for? Like, all right, God, what's, what's I'm looking for? Somebody, like Waldo, where's Waldo? Is he behind me? What's going on? But I was praying about what this new year is going to bring since last year was so, such a, such a battle and such a, such opposition. And, and, and the Lord sent me to Psalm 23 and 6. He said, we know Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And when I took inventory of what was in my life, the Lord says, hey, if there's anything other than goodness and mercy in your life, it's not because it followed you into this new year, into this new season. It's not that the old you followed you. It's because whatever you have right now, other than goodness and mercy, is not because it followed you, but because you carried it. And too many of us come into the house of God carrying old identities and carrying old addictions and carrying old relationships and carrying old, old this and old that. And the Lord wants you to know this morning is that what is in front of you and what's coming is not going to follow you if you let it go today. If you'll drop it. 
See, I, there, in, uh, I gotta say, in 2013, I remember watching it. It was a, it was a, I believe it was a bowl game. I don't remember, but it was the USC Trojans playing against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. 2013, like a million years ago. And I remember the play, that was, the, the running back's name was Reggie Bush, and the quarterback's name was Matt Liner. And Matt Liner gives up under center, and, and it's like seven seconds left to go in the game. They're down, and, and, and he, gets, he gets under center. They act like, and the coach, Pete Carroll's on the sideline going, spike, 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 spike. And I'm like, oh, they're going to spike the ball. The announcer's saying, oh, they're going to spike the ball. And then all of a sudden, Matt Liner gets under center, and he tries to sneak the ball into the end zone. They're like the two-yard line. And, and how many of you know that? Notre Dame ain't just going to let them go into the end zone. So every behemoth of a man gets in front of Matt Leonard, and they stall him at the goal line. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, see, here's what, here's what I want you to know. That, that when I read this Psalm 23 and 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will. Everybody say will. Everybody say dwell. In the house of the Lord forever. And so I, when I read this, the Holy Spirit said, hey, don't forget that goodness and mercy is behind you. It's always behind you. I'm like, okay, that's great. And so in this play, Matt Liner snaps the ball, gets up, and he's stalled at the goal line. All of a sudden, there's something called what we know, now know in the sports world as the Bush Push. Reggie Bush comes up behind Matt Liner, rams straight into his back, and pushes him across the goal line into the end zone. Touchdown. Game over. They win. And when I read this story, this came into my mind. When I read this scripture, because things that fall behind us in your life will do one or two things. You ready? They'll either push you or they'll pull you. Our past behind us will pull us. But how many know when goodness and mercy, God didn't just put goodness and mercy to be in your past. God put goodness and mercy behind you to push you this morning. So when you don't feel like you can go any further, you know what's behind you? The goodness of God. How do you keep going when the opposition is great in front of you? You start thinking about the goodness of God. How do you speak life instead of death? You start thinking about the goodness of God. That goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And it pushes me. It pushes me. The reason why it's behind you is not to pull you back. So you're right. By yourself, you can't do it. But how many of you know that goodness and mercy will push you today? Amen? Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Hallelujah. He's going to push you. Right now, every head bowed and every eye closed. You're, you've heard the message this morning. You've had an opportunity. Listen, God's not trying to get you somewhere today. God's trying to get you to someone today. I said, God's not trying to get you somewhere. He's trying to get you to someone. His name is Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this sermon from our weekend experience. If you want to partner with us as we see lives changed and God's kingdom advanced, you can donate by texting any amount to 84321 or visiting our website, highestpraisechurch.com. If you want to connect with our local church and stay up to date with events, you can fill out a digital connect card, which is also on our website. We'll see you soon.